So I wanted to give you a little bit of report on the finances that have come in for Ukraine and what we continue to do with them. I think we have $2,600 in addition to what we, the 5,000 we've already taken up and dispersed. We have another 2,600 and uh, we're just kind of waiting on uh, the exact needs. And so last week I spent a, uh, a fair amount of time uh, with some of the Ukrainian refugees here in town, um, just helping them to uh, find resources, get connected with resources, and uh, get food. We brought them into our food pantry and uh, did some more things like that. I th I'm supposed to take them shopping tomorrow um, to get some clothing and stuff, and so that part of the money will go toward that. And then we'll see how it works out with their needs, to whether or not we'll send money physically to Ukraine or whether we'll try to focus on you refugees here. So I'll give you kind of a bigger report once all that is done. Please continue to pray. Pray for the church in uh, Ukraine and in the church in Russia. All that's going on there, it's kind of a very difficult time for all of them. So uh, Marley led this morning, which is glad to have you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. And uh, Chelsea was uh, uh, going to be with us this Sunday and next, but due to a set of circumstances that have changed with their moving dates, today is her last Sunday. So we wanted to have her come up, and uh, if anybody wants to come up and just, we're going to lay hands on her and send her out and just thank her for uh, serving with us this past year. So anybody that'd like to come up, if you'd kind of come down here and I mean, she's right there in the middle where there's lots of room and let people just pray. We're just going to spend a moment in prayer. Is it safe for me to go down there with this mic? Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll try to get it captured. We can gather all in rain, you know. So. Mm -hmm. If you would just join us in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Chelsea and for Andy. And little Capri, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the Webb family. And Lord, we just bless them, Father, they, as they have uh, just served here for the past year and as they are going out. We thank you for their hearts of service. We thank you for the giftings that you've given them, Father, and uh, giving them the ability to administrate those giftings uh, so well for your church, for your body, for your kingdom. Thank you for the blessing that they are. And Lord, we just ask you to bless them, Father, to bring them into a good place there in Colorado, to open up a good church family that they can be a part of, Lord, places where they can plug in and, and use their giftings to further your kingdom. Lord, a place is a good school for Capri, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the good job for Andy and, Lord, a, a good job for for Chelsea as well, Lord. We just bless them. We bless their vehicles. We bless their travel. Uh, we bless the need uh, to get their stuff there to Colorado, that you're going to meet that need. Father, we bless them, uh, uh, their comings and their goings, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for them. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Love you, Chelsea. shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy and all the trees of the fields will clap, will clap their hands. <laughs> the song's longer, but I'll stop. <laughs>
<clears throat> and they do have some final needs, you know, if the Lord lays upon your heart to bless them. If you just want to give them a card or a gift card or slide 20 bucks into our hand or whatever. They do have some final needs as they're moving. And so I encourage you just to bless them uh, for the way they've served our body the last year. And uh, we're thankful for them. So before we get into the word, of course, we have to have a few jokes. So I have to highlight you and, and pass on to you the wisdom that I find on the Internet. Bless the Lord for it. So I went to a fitness trainer, decided to get, in, get into shape, and I went to a fitness trainer, and uh, he asked me, what kind of squat am I accustomed to doing? And I said, diddly. <laughs> diddly squat. You get it, Michael? Yeah, okay. Ooh. Okay, it's bad. I'm sorry. This is the type of humor my dad had. <clears throat> It doesn't matter if you're tall, short, fat, thin, rich, or poor. At the end of the day, it's still night. <laughs> John, I invented a car that moves only when the driver is silent. It goes without saying. <laughs> And this one I enjoyed too. This is one of my friends from Mississippi. So I don't know if this was a real incident or a joke, but this is what he posted. <clears throat> to the woman who flipped me off when I beeped my horn at her, your phone is probably not on the top of your car anymore. <laughs> Ouch. Not everybody's against us, right? When people beep their horns at us sometimes just to let us know that our phone's on the roof or our coffee cup. We got in the car with our coffee cup still attached. Bless the Lord. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of, uh, we're going to go three places today, but I'm going to have you turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3, and most of the time we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. So Exodus chapter 3, and then 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's go ahead and pray over the word. Bless you, Lord. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, thank you for uh, being able to get together. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for a family that we can gather together with and have fellowship. Thank you, Lord, for good coffee and, and good music, Father, and uh, just all the blessings in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father, for it. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless your word this morning. Speak to each of our hearts. Let your anointing rest upon the word so that each person receives the, the sermon, the word of encouragement, the word of correction, whatever's needed, that each person will receive that this morning, Lord, as you desire, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that you love us and that you constantly point us toward your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done and all you're doing today in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. So this is the fourth in our series of Run to the Roar. We've done several weeks now on, uh, based on 2 Peter uh, 5.8, which says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we can look at that and we can be afraid because Satan is a pretty loud roar. He likes to make a lot of noise. He likes to
to intimidate us and get, get us and uh, our attention on him and his loudness of his roar. Or we can focus on the Lion of Judah, the roar of Jesus. We can train our ears to hear his roar and overshadow the roar of the enemy and then run toward the enemy saying, you're not going to influence me because I've heard the Lord and I'm running with what Jesus is telling me. And I'm running toward your roar, Satan, and I'm going to uh, expand the kingdom of God violently in your direction. So that's what our goal has been by these sermons, to encourage you to run toward the roar with the roar of Jesus behind you. And so we are in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and I want to talk about what um, when Satan begins to roar so loud that we get discouraged, when we realize the moment that we have been focusing on the roar of the enemy instead of the roar of Jesus, how to recognize that and how to get out of it. Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 3, at least you are. I'm turning there. Exodus chapter 3, and you'll know this, this is a pretty famous verse here. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Now Moses was keeping the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flocks into the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, backstory here, Moses is uh, uh, close to 80 years old at this point. He had been rescued miraculously from being uh, uh, killed by Pharaoh when Pharaoh had made the law that every male child born among the slaves in Israel had to be put to death. And his mom had put him in the basket and the basket floated down and came to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter took him in and said, I'm going to raise this son as my own. So Moses, instead of being raised as a slave there among, among the Israelite slaves there, he is raised in the palace of Pharaoh and has taught and trained in all the, the wisdom of Egypt at that time and raised up as a leader, as a one who could secede or one who could uh, take over the kingdom at some point in the future. I mean, he's raised with that type of mentality in the palace. At the age of 40, he realizes that he is actually a Jewish uh, slave, and that is his people. And his identity, he has an identity crisis, and his identity shifts from, I'm just supposed to be here, and I'm Egyptian, to actually, I'm a slave that has been transplanted here. And in anger one day, when he sees an Egyptian man mistreating an a, uh, uh, Israelite slave, he kills the Egyptian. So he goes from being a member of the palace, being a high and lifted up high society, uh, one percenter, uh, a, a type person way up there, to being now a fugitive wanted, a murderer. And he runs from everything he knows and goes out into the wilderness. He isolates himself completely from God and from everybody else. Everything that he knows, and he hooks up with the priest of Midian, and he ends up marrying the guy's daughter, and he spends there 40 years. Now, God had prophesied to Abraham. He had told Abraham, he said, you know, your children are going to go to Egypt, and they're going to be in slavery for 400 years. 400 years. They're actually in slavery for 430 
And that, they talk about that, I think it's in the book of, uh, I want to say Joshua, where it mentions the exact date and the number of years, 430 years. So what that tells me is that possibly God was ready to redeem Israel and liberate them 10 years after Moses fell. 10 years after Moses disappeared into the wilderness. But Moses was there for an additional 30 years till his heart was at a place where he could hear the Lord. He had listened to the roar of the enemy and he had subjugated himself, put himself under, submitted himself to the roar of the enemy for 30 years longer than he needed to. Now let's read on here. And this is why I base this. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I think I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight of why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. Now, what I'm reading into this is that this wasn't the first burning bush that was around Moses. My thought is that God tried for 30 years to get Moses' attention and to remind Moses how big he is. Because God is constantly working to remind us how big God is. Because when we are under the roar of the enemy... Jesus wants to remind us how great his roar is. Because when we're under the roar of the enemy, that's our focus. That's what we see. We are in a defeated or we're in a controlled or we're living less than what Jesus has for us. So Jesus is trying to get our attention. So God's trying to get Moses' attention, and it, but it takes a while. And finally, when God sees that he's gotten Moses' attention, he speaks to him. When he saw that Moses had turned aside to investigate, Moses was finally at a place where his heart was open to the supernatural power of God to change his circumstance. Let me say that again. Moses' heart was finally at a place where he could believe and see the supernatural power of God to change his circumstance. Often we're so in the midst of the roar of the enemy that we cannot even see the power of God. We don't look for the power of God. We don't believe for the power of God. We don't expect the power of God. We have settled into this is my lot in life. The roar of the enemy is just what I have. But God speaks. God moves. God tries to get our attention so that when we finally see, he can begin to see and direct us into his abundant provision. Come on, guys. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. See, God knew Moses' identity even when Moses had forgotten who he was. God knew exactly who he was called to be, what he was ordained to become, how God had set aside all the provision that Moses needed to bring liberty to the children of Israel in the timing the Lord had set aside. God knew all of that, and he calls out Moses, Do you know who you are? 
I'm calling your name. Do you recognize who I have spoken over you? You are Moses. Will you respond to the voice of the Lord calling out to you the victory that he has for you today? You know, when I was up here singing earlier, it hit me during that song. You know, we sing that waymaker, beautiful word. Uh, I always say beautiful if it's not. It's whatever the word is there. I throw the wrong word in there. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. But we've sang it so much that it's almost like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, you can just say it and it's just your mouth moving, it's muscle memory. And we forget what the word actually means. And the Lord hit me. The God of victory is in your midst. Are you singing it like you understand that the God of victory, or are you singing it like one of the old hymns that we sing? And yeah, yeah, nah, nah, yeah. it is well with my soul. I feel terrible. It is well with my soul. I feel horrible. It is well with my soul. I'm depressed. It is well. You know what I mean? And so the Lord is calling out to us this morning, church of the living God. Redeemed ones, healed ones, little Christ bearers, Christians, anointed ones, servants of the living God. Will you hear me today? Will you respond to the burning bush? So Moses did, and he goes in there, and Moses says, Wow, here I am. I do have an identity. There is something about me that God has spoken over me. There is power and redemption in Christ Jesus. There is sufficient grace. There is the miracle working of power of, of God today. There is the love of Christ. There is hope. See, Moses responds to that. He hears, yes, there is. I'm grabbing a hold of this. And God says to him in verse 8, and this is our key. Then God said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, why do we have sandals? Why do you think Moses wore sandals? I can think of two main purposes, because I don't think he wore them for style. That would probably be the third, so that we can go, ooh, look at my sandals, you know. <laughs> I think generally probably sandals were worn for comfort and protection. Comfort and protection. So what the Lord is saying here is not, this is so holy, Moses, that you can't even touch it with your dirty sandals. No. What the Lord is saying here is, get rid of the things that you've made that separate you from connecting directly to my presence. Remove your man-made obstacles, your, your man-made uh, uh, constructs, your fleshly constructs, your religious things that you've done that separate you from actually touching my presence because I want to connect directly with you. You know, because we construct things that provide us comfort and protection from what we don't really want to connect with or that we're uncomfortable with. And so we put on these fleshly constructs to keep us from fully connecting with the Lord.
especially when we're under the roar of the enemy. Because we've believed the lie that the Lord is not safe, that he's mean, that he's not kind, that he's cruel. We're like the, uh, the guy with the one talent who said, I hit it because you're a mean boss. We don't have the blessing. We have just the religious judgment, the religious rules, and we've constructed sandals to protect us from actually getting into his presence because we do not believe the goodness of the Lord. Moses did not believe the goodness of the Lord. That's why he ran for 40 years and hid in the wilderness, thinking I'm going to hide away from God and not allow him into my life. I'm running away. That's the, when we believe the roar of the enemy, this is how our mind works and our heart works. God in his goodness meets us there. Let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19. You can read more there in, in Exodus 3 about Moses' life and how he struggled to come into the identity and, and all that's going on. And that's just Moses um, refusing at times to uh, let go of the roar of the Satan and believe the voice of the Lord. And he struggles back and forth, but the Lord leads him through, and you see Israelites are, are set free. So then in 1 Kings chapter 19, we get the story of Elijah. Now, Elijah... Uh, and the backstory here is that Elijah had, uh, you know, he'd been prophesying a number of years, and Israel had its king Ahab and, and its queen Jezebel. And they weren't nice people, and Jezebel especially wasn't, wasn't nice. And, and she was all about power and uh, manipulating to keep in power and taking what you want. She's your basic totalitarian political leader, these two are. You know, you do what you need to do to maintain power no matter who it hurts because you, it's all about you and your power. And that's the way they were. And Elijah, of course, won't allow that. Elijah speaks against it. And so they didn't like Elijah. And uh, Jezebel and Ahab had set up the worship of Baal because we can't have you worshiping the righteous thing. We need you to worship something that we could control. We're going to put up an idol here and we can control this. And they had set up all the priests, and she had gone about killing all of the uh, true worshipers of the Lord, any kind of the priest or anybody who would really worship the Lord. She went about killing them. And so Elijah felt like he was like the only voice left. He's getting down where it's a pretty difficult season there in the country. And he says, you know, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm going to stand up. And uh, he b hears from the Lord, reads in the word, and I think it's in Deuteronomy, where it says and the blessings and the curses that if the nation doesn't follow the Lord, uh, the, there'll be drought. And so he calls forth and he says, based on the word of the Lord, I'm calling forth, I'm speaking forth a drought over this nation. And the drought lasts for three years. And of course, Ahab and Jezebel, instead of repenting, they get mad at him for bringing on the bad things that, that are because of them. That's where their heart is. They don't want, they don't want repentance because repentance means losing power. They'd rather have uh, evil to keep power than humility to get the true freedom in Christ. It's where their heart is. 
So Elijah, he calls forth the drought, and then at the end of the three years, he says, I'm tired of this, we're going to have a settle. So he gathers all the prophets of Baal, and he says, you build your altar, I'm going to build mine to the Lord, and we'll see who answers with fire. You know this story. So he, they build there, and they go around... <laughs> They go around all day long and they're cutting themselves and they're hurting themselves and they're screaming for Baal to come. And Elijah's over there making jokes. I don't know if you read this. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, maybe, maybe Baal's taking a nap. Maybe Baal is in the bathroom. He literally says that. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe he's on a trip. You know, he's kind of egging them on. And they can't get Baal to come. So uh, Elijah comes and he builds this, the, the, the altar the right way. He sets it all up. He puts the sacrifice on there. Then he dumps on it a bunch of water that he had built a trench and it fills up the trench. So this thing is completely, he wanted to prove to them that for once and for all, that the roar of Jesus is louder than the roar of Satan. Okay, this is what he wants to do to the nation. And so the fire of God comes down and consumes everything. Like there's like nothing left. The fire falls from heaven. And they are so stunned that Elijah goes out and he kills all 300 of the prophets of Baal. So they must have been like awestruck to stand there and just go, okay, I'm next. Who's next? You know, they didn't run. They didn't scream. They just stood there and Elijah came in and killed all of them. Of course, Ahab and Jezebel, especially Jezebel, was extremely upset because her power structure had just been hit. And so she says to Elijah, may all the curses fall on my head today if I don't have you dead by evening. So just a full on. Now remember, Elijah had just killed and had this massive victory of the power of God and had this uh, killed all the prophets of Baal. She says, I'm more powerful than you. I have more authority. The roar of the enemy bites at Elijah and Elijah runs. Now we're all going to have stages in our life more than likely, where we will wake up and realize I have been living under the roar of Satan instead of the roar of Jesus. I have believed the lie. And it'll be like a light bulb going off when the Lord deals with our heart. So Elijah runs off and he's living there. He, he takes off running and he hasn't eaten and he's just killed a bunch of guys so he's exhausted. And he's out there and the Lord feeds him miraculously and then he sleeps and then the Lord feeds him again miraculously with an angel and tells him to go and he goes to the mount uh, and climbs up in the mount and gets in a cave and that's where we find him now. Beginning with verse 9. Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. I don't know how long he lodged there, but he was there. Now you remember, he's called to be the voice of God to the nation. He's done that effectively, had great victory, but now Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. The roar of the lion, uh, Satan's roar is so loud that he's now hiding in a cave. This is where he is. And he came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, when the Lord asks questions like that, the Lord isn't like, hey, can you explain? Because I was actually uh, having lunch and I missed all of this. 
When the Lord asks questions, the Lord is trying to get us to understand why we are where we are, for us to be able to see that we have submitted ourselves to the roar of Satan instead of believing him. Because we've got to recognize that if we're going to move out of it. So God's asked this question so that we can be ruled by our spirit and not ruled by the flesh. Right now, you might say Elijah has sandals on. He's allowed the fear of Jezebel to come between him and God, and he's coping by running off and hiding in the, in the cave because he has sandals on now, and he's protected himself against the word of the Lord. When we are walking by our spirit, when we're walking by the voice of Jesus, we see God, we believe God, we trust God, and we follow God. When we are walking in our flesh, when we're ruled by the flesh, when we're ruled by this voice of Satan, when we have these sandals on, we uh, see the limitations of ourselves. We doubt God. We trust only in me, myself and I. And we follow the leadings of the flesh. And that gets us in a situation where we are not living in the victory that Jesus has for us. And we all have times or seasons or, or areas of our life where this is where we live. And Jesus calls to us and says, where are you? Where are you? Notice he said Elijah again. Where are you? What are you doing here Elijah. So he always speaks identity to us. Son, where are you? Daughter, where are you? So he speaks already the loving identity that he has for you. Why are you not living or living in all that I have for you? And I'm going to speak this over to you. Victorious one, where are you? Oh, well, I'm living in defeat. Well, that's not who you are. Victorious one. Oh, you mean I don't have to live here? No, you don't have to live in the cave, prince, princess, my child, my precious one. You don't have to live in loneliness, one who I love. You don't have to live in sadness, oh joyful one. You don't have to live in poverty, oh rich one. You know, he speaks these things over us and calls us into the identity he has for us. And he calls us to recognize where we are at the moment. Why are you here? Is basically another way of saying what he said to Elijah there. What are you doing here? It's basically asking, why are you here? Hey, Elijah, why are you in the cave? Why are you hiding up here? What is limiting you? What's tripping you up? What's hindering you? What's roaring louder than my voice? What is it? When we answer, these are the keys to recognize where our heart is so that we can be honest with God and then we can walk out of the lion's roar into the roar of Jesus. So we have to answer honestly, not religiously. 
And we have to look at what our answer is, and it gives us clues. So let's look at Elijah's answer here. He says here in verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I think that's probably the number one thing where it usually begins. I have been very jealous for, and and on from there. What you're saying by that statement, and this is a common statement, if you haven't ever done it, I'm surprised if you haven't realized it. You're saying, you're not fair. I've been righteous, but you have not been fair to me. I'm in a righteous position. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and look what happened. I've faithfully tithed, and look what happened. I've sowed into this relationship, and look what happened. I've been in ministry for 10 years, and why is this stuff happening in my life? I gave away somebody a car, so why is mine breaking down? Am I the only one that's ever done that? (laughs) Well, the good thing to know is that you're in good company because even Elijah did it. Lord, I've been faithful. I've done everything you've told me to do. Then why are you in a cave? Well, we're not talking about the cave right now. (laughs) I've served you, so why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. So this is the first argument. What that tells you is that you have been believing and you are in a cave and you're believing the roar of the enemy. You're not seeing the righteous voice of Jesus. You're seeing your abilities, your righteousness. You're in a state of self-righteous awareness right now. And you got to get past that if you're going to come into the freedom of Jesus. The second thing he says, so he says, I've been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Basically what you're saying there is, have you not seen how bad it is? Aren't you aware of the situation that I'm in? Aren't you aware of where things are right now? how my marriage is, how my finances are, how my relationship with my children is or with my parents, how this is, how that is, how, it, how hard it is at work, what it's like dealing with a neighbor like that. Whatever your situation is, it's the same argument that he's making here. Are you not aware of how bad it is? And that's the accusation to the Lord of um, you haven't seen You don't see me. You're not aware. Have you not seen it, Lord? Of course the Lord's seen it. The Lord's not blind. Situation right now is that your eyes are all on your problems. Your eyes are all on the difficulties. And you can't see the victory or the way out if all you see is how bad it is. Do you realize instead of having the victory of the Lord, instead of going to the Lord and saying, okay, God, Jezebel said this, what do you want me to do? And walk in that victory, 
he reacted and ran from the roar of the enemy and hid himself in a cave. Since God isn't saving me, after he just killed 300, since God isn't saving me and God isn't able to help, I'm going to have to help myself. And the only thing that I can do because I'm broken and, and everything sucks is I'm going to go hide in this cave. Another thing that he's saying by this is, you know, God, I've worked really hard and you've not helped me. And there's no way to fix it now. Nobody's really loved you like I've loved you. Situation's hopeless. And basically, Satan's won. Satan's justified right now. It's hopeless, God. You lost. It's over. So just let me die. This is all in that statement. Everything is forsaken, for all of Israel has forsaken you. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one left. You know, God, where were you when I needed you? You guys are awful quiet today. Have you heard about or ever said this statement? I'm alone and no one understands what I'm going through. It sucks to be me. You've abandoned me, God, and I don't understand why. I remember at one time in my life asking the Lord, why are you mad at me? What have I done that has made you so mad at me that everything is falling apart? And I did, I said these statements, you know. I served you 10 years on the mission field. I gave up my 20s for you. I did this, I did that, I did this, and here I am. Everything is falling apart. Where are you? I was in a cave at, at that moment. You can see, I'm, I'm trying to give you uh, elements that you could uh, relate to where you can recognize that yes, when I say these things, I'm in a cave. And if I'm saying it right now, I'm in a cave. Sometimes we need a little bit of shake to realize I'm in a cave. The last thing that Elijah says here, everybody, I'm the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. They're out to get me. Which basically he's saying to the Lord, because the Lord's asking him, hey Elijah, what are you doing here? And he's like, what am I doing here? I've served you. You know, they've killed all your prophets. All the good guys are gone, and they're, now they're trying to kill me. What he's saying here, you don't care. Because I wouldn't be in this cave if you didn't do what you, if you did what you're supposed to be doing, if you did your promises, I wouldn't be in this cave right now. So cocky, isn't it? But we've all done it. Lordy, I'm like, dear God, forgive me. 
When you're in the midst of it, though, the roar of the enemy is so loud that it is so easy to reverse that roar and yell it right back at God. You know, you're not faithful. Excuse my French, but basically, where the hell have you been? This is what we're saying to the Lord. The faithful one who gave his life for us, who rose from the dead, who is victorious, we're so under the influence and the power and the negativity of the enemy that we're turning that negativity and cursing God with our mouths. We don't have to live that way, folks. That's not the way God intended. And God loves us so much that he goes to the cave and he says, hey, where are you? Where are you, O victorious one? Oh, son of the living God, where are you? Daughter, most beloved, where are you? I don't want you in the cave. Come out of the cave. Come have some fun. And you see what happens here. This is a pretty famous verse here because a famous passage. I love it. You hear it a lot, a lot. He said, and the Lord passed by, and there was a great and strong wind that tore the mountain. Dear Lord, what kind of wind was that? And broke it in pieces, and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the end, wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a low whisper. And when Elijah heard the low whisper, he came out. I love that. So when God answers, when God speaks to us, when God calls to us, our choice is we can either listen to the noise of Satan, the roar, the earthquake, the situation, the loudness, or we can listen to the small voice that we know is the heart of the Lord for us and that we can respond to. Because there will always be the strong wind, the earthquake, the fire, all the noise to distract your attention and to get you focused on how bad it is. God doesn't need theatrics to be big. God is big. Satan uses theatrics to make himself appear very strong and powerful. So that we won't listen for the small whisper. God, in complete confidence of his ability to bring victory in your life and to lead you in Christ Jesus to all that he has for you, in complete confidence of that, doesn't try to use theatrics to get your attention. God just says, hey, where are you? I've got power. My grace is sufficient. You know, in our flesh, we respond to those big theatrics. You know, the louder, the bigger... But God's just like, hey, I got victory. Come, come on. Come join. Come have fun. You don't have to live in that cave. You don't have to live in that defeat. Let's grow in Christ and come to the victory I have for you. So God speaks to him again. Elijah, where are you? And he basically answers the the same thing. So then God gives him the answer to his situation. And this is what I want you to remember. This is the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of the Lord. The voice of the enemy tries to distract you with theatrics about how bad things 
are and to get you to run away and hide in a cave. But if you're going to come into the Lord's presence, you've got to separate yourself from all of that stuff. Take the sandals off and hear the voice of the Lord. And this is what the Lord speaks to him. It's in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel instead of Ahab and Jezebel. And Elisha the son of, of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, who you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, I've even, yet I will leave, or I've got, 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed Baal. So what's God say to him? You know, the battle is actually already over. I've already won. So let's, let's rise up and act like it. Let's begin to declare what I'm saying. Go do what I've called you to do and walk in the victory of it. The battle's over, so stop looking at theatrics. Number one, the battle's over, so stop looking at theatrics. I have the victory, says the Lord. Number two, I am fully engaged where you said I wasn't seeing things. I'll let you know I'm fully engaged. I know exactly what's going on. So stop acting alone and abandoned. I'm fully engaged. I know what Jezebel and Ahab are saying in their private chambers. And I've sent this guy over to bring punishment on them. It's done. I sent this guy over here to do this. I've already appointed a, 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 a secondary person who's going to rule after I bring you home. Elisha. I'm very engaged. And by the way, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. So don't believe that lie. Come on. God says, I'm not defeated. And by the way, neither are you. Because this is offensive moves. These aren't defensive moves. What God is telling Elijah to do is very offensive. You go and tell this guy that he's supposed to take care of the house of Ahab and Jezebel. That's an offensive move. That's someone in higher authority who's saying, okay, Ahab and Jezebel, you've had your time, but you haven't followed me. So you know what? Your time is done, and I'm putting this guy into place instead. So Elijah, go tell him. That's someone in higher authority of Ahab and Jezebel and not reacting to the theatrics and the antics of Ahab and Jezebel. In our modern world, I would say, don't react to the antics and theatrics of the leaders of countries right now. If you are living under the constant going back and forth rage of the nations, you are below seeing who God actually is. So he says to you, I'm not defeated, and neither are you. So hear the whisper and get going. Lastly, he says to him, leave the cave. 
Leave the cave. You want change in your life. You want to get out from underneath the, the loud roar and theatrics of Satan's roar. Then you've got to take some physical movement and get yourself out of the cave and begin to do what the Lord's told you to do. Begin to act like Jesus has the victory. Let's get big, busy walking in the victory. You know, there's an old video that I love on YouTube. And it's a, it's a woman down in Oklahoma who her apartment was on fire and she gets out and she gets interviewed. And it's just kind of funny the way she describes the fire and things like that. But one of the lines she says is, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. Let me remind you, ain't nobody got time to sit in a cave. Let's walk in the victory. Ain't nobody got time to sit around and beat yourself up for your dumb mistakes. Ain't nobody got time for that. Let's focus on the victory of Jesus. Ain't nobody got time to get embroiled in all kinds of, of junk going on with other people that keep you out of the victory of Jesus. All the theatrics and the noise going on. Ain't nobody got time for that. Let's get out of that, separate yourself from it, and begin to live like Jesus. Let love cover and move on. You don't have to live in the cave. You don't have to spend 30 extra years in the wilderness. You don't have to. Jesus paid the price. We celebrate the victory of Jesus in two weeks on the 17th. That's the date we, that we have that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the resurrection of Jesus isn't today. Right now in your situation. Let me pray over you. And I want you to think about that area that you maybe are living in a cave in. That area that is a struggle for you. I want you to think about that and, and kind of put it into your hand. So I put this area in my hand, and Lord, I lift it to you, and Lord, first and foremost, I apologize for living in a cave and believing the roar of Satan over, over what you have to say. So give me eyes to see, Lord, and to hear what you have to say, Lord. I give this to you, and I declare your victory over this area. I declare your ability to overcome in this area. If there's parts of my life that need to change, Lord, I am willing. Help me, Lord, to deal with the areas of flesh, the areas of sandals that I have that keep me from walking in the fullness of your presence that allows me to get underneath this roar of Satan. Jesus, let me hear you. Give me revelation. Speak to me from your word. Change my heart. Change my thinking. Whatever needs to happen, Lord, I am willing or I'm willing to be willing wherever you are. And Lord, I give this to you and I'm going to keep giving it to you until I leave it at your feet. Forgive me when I pick it back up and think about it a while. I give it to you this morning, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I declare your victory by the power of your blood. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Easter egg hunt on Saturday. Have some fun this week.